Good morning, everyone. Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, today is Friday, December 16th, 2022, and this is the final episode of the What's Up webcast for 2022. Um, for everyone who's kind of hung in there and subscribed and just put up with us, quite frankly, for the last two and a half years, uh, thank you very much for being a part of it. Uh, we already have tons of plans for next year. We've got episodes already lined up for the first portion of 2023. That's going to take a minute to get used to. Um, but it'll be a lot of fun, and we appreciate you having uh, the time with us every Friday, and we hope you've had a good time with it this year. Um, so all of us from here at the uh, Skywatcher team, we appreciate you being along with us for the ride. Um, couple little announcements before we bring in our hodgepodge of guests today, um, who are hanging out in the wings. Um, it is the holiday season. There is product in stock. You can either go to our website and see what's available, or you can talk to your favorite dealer. There's still a few days left to get all the junk that you want to put under the tree. Um, I mean junk in a very respective term, but stuff. Um, all right. Uh, other than that, if you need something to put under the tree or in a stocking or whatever you want to do, you can go over to the skywatcher.threadless.com store, grab something. Maybe there's a product that you're waiting for. You can use this as a IOU. It's on its way. Um, reminder, we've got all kinds of fun stuff there, but you can go over to the skywatcher.threadless.com store to check out what kind of fun stuff is there and available uh, for the holiday season. And then I was supposed to talk about something else and I can't remember what it is and I'm burning up time. There we go. <clears throat> uh, our CQ350 mount, they are shipping right now. If you're looking for one, uh, they should be available. Um, if you want to see one in person, I will be down in Tucson tomorrow at Star Arizona, which I will pull their website up just because they're here. Um, David Levy is going to be there doing a book signing tomorrow too. So that'll be kind of cool, but I'll be there all day starting at 10 AM all the way till 10 PM uh, for their star party. So I'll be down there tomorrow all day um, at star Arizona showing off the new CQ 350 mount. Come and ask questions. Don't ask me for a free one and come have a fun time. So uh, with all that being said, um, we thought it'd be really kind of a fun thing to wrap up 2022 with a panel of some of our friends. And so let's do that. And there is the trio that we decided to wrap the year with. We have Nico from Nebula Photos. We have Trevor from Master Backyard. And we have Richard Wright, who's a contributing editor. Um, that's right. Contributing editor? Yes. Okay. Um, for Sky and Telescope. I should have had all that in my head and it went out the door very quickly. Um, so, hey guys, how you doing? Great. Good, man. Good to be here. Thanks yep. for uh, spending the, well, it's actually afternoon already for you East Coasters. Um, it's still morning here on the West Coast, um, <laughs> uh, but we're but we're here. Um, so I think usually, obviously, for the webcast, I ask how everyone got started in astronomy. We've been down that road, and if you haven't seen those episodes, go watch the other episodes um that all of them are on but um there's a lot of cool things that have happened this year from equipment to processing to whatever it could be um so i wasn't sure for you guys if there was like a highlight for you imaging wise because i know 
every year we kind of look back when the year's over it's like this was my best image or this is this and then you kind of compare that to where maybe you were last year or even years ago you look at your picture and like dang i killed it this year Um, but i didn't know if there was a highlight point for all three of you for yourself that happened this year um I'll start you, Nico. I'll throw it to you because you've got the green background. (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, probably just uh, I've always sort of gravitated towards short focal lengths. Like I started with camera lenses and then moved on to small refractors. And this year is the first time I tried something a little bit bigger. So I did a a 130 millimeter uh, refractor uh, at 700 to 1,000 millimeter focal length. And uh, so just sort of, Moving up a little bit, um, I'm still uh, haven't done like SCT or anything like that. So, uh, but for me, it was it was a new challenge, and I, I liked the image that I made. I did a, I have to remember the number, LDN twelve fifty one, just this cool uh, dark nebula in Cepheus. So that was probably my highlight of the year. The whole constellation of Cepheus is literally a dust ball. So. <laughs> I need to do like a whole constellation shot, just all of it one together. So everyone's complaining that there's not enough women in astronomy in the chat. We're working on it. <laughs> we have plans for next year. Wait or stop chasing them off. So it's like, sorry, if that was a rant, but uh, Trevor, I'll hand it to you. So this year for me uh, was really nice to get out there and travel again and go to some really cool spots that the ultimate highlight was probably the Oki Tech star party because it was my first time under a Bortle one sky, that elusive, truly dark sky. And it was an unforgettable experience for me. Um, in terms of like my, my personal progress as an imager, it wasn't really a year where I did a lot of new things. Like 2020 was the first time I used a long focal length scope and SCT and really started doing planets and stuff like that. So it was a huge learning curve that year. This year, I really tried to just focus on quality, uh, getting my image processing to the next level, more picks and sight stuff than I historically would do, um, and more longer term projects. Uh, And a big part of that is because I started looking into um, printing my astrophotos, and it's a completely different process that you go through to, to get an image ready to print high resolution, you know, three feet wide than it would be for me to do an image for an Instagram post or something. So it kind of forced me to up my game in terms of quality, both in acquisition and processing. And I really, really enjoyed it. And now I kind of want to go back and redo everything. Yeah, because that's a very different approach, Um, you know, especially because so many people, they just show their work on Instagram or Facebook. And it's like, wow, that looks nice. Mm-hmm. It's completely different when it's like, oh, it needs to be 16 by 24 at 300 DPI. And it's like, yeah, pixely stars don't look nice when it's printed. So, yeah, nowhere to hide. Yep, everything's shown. <clears throat> what about you, Richard? So. Oh, for me, it's been it's been a kind of a year of transition for me. So uh, early beginning of the year, I stepped away from software BISC after about 20 years um, working for them. And so um, I'm mostly known for doing deep sky stuff and promoting, you know, the paramounts and the sky and all of that. So two things I started doing this year, I started doing um, a lot more lucky imaging. 
so, you know, I am kind of a software developer, so I'm looking for a niche that's underserved. And so I've been doing lots of lunar, solar, and planetary stuff this, this year. And uh, it's a very different, very different workflow from Deep Sky. Uh, and the tools are interesting. Uh, for Deep Sky, I've, I still love doing Deep Sky, and I've, I did a lot of one-shot color this year. Everybody's like, oh, you should go one-shot color. It's so much. It's great. <laughs> no, I'm going back to mono. So next year will be the year of the return to mono. Um, I've got a whole new set of filters on order, and I'm getting a new you know, shiny cam- uh, new shiny mono camera. So, yeah, I can't wait to go back to mono imaging on Deep Sky stuff. So. That's kind of where I am. Nice. Well, and next year is going to be the, I know Trevor, you haven't dabbled with it much. Nico, I'm not sure if you have either or what your thoughts are in it. Richard and I have, but solar over the next two years is going to be not even two years at this point over the next 18 months is going to be stupid with the two back-to-back eclipses here in North America. So I know that'll be, something to dabble with a little bit more yeah i, I captured the the last uh, eclipse in america and definitely will do this upcoming one um although my favorite uh automation software solar eclipse maestro for the mac is uh only running on very old mac os so i don't know i might Uh-oh. virtualize an old mac os system so i can use that software because it was just my favorite it just did everything perfectly on the last eclipse do you have plans for the eclipses, Trevor? No. Or at least uh, the total uh, eclipses? N- no, nothing set in stone yet, which is a big problem. Uh, I need to get on that. And I really need to practice my solar imaging as well. Never never done anything other than putting a, um, you know, the makeshift filter or um, it was actually, it, there, was a, there was a specific film that was safe to use. And I made a custom cover for my eight inch daub um, way back to see the transit of Venus. And uh, other than that, I haven't really done anything for solar. I've never experienced a total solar eclipse in my life uh, in person either. So need to get prepared for that. Yeah, you and Ash need to make a trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my last solar eclipse, I took a trip. And not only did the moon go in front of the sun, but a huge cloud frontal system moved in front of the sun as well. So <laughs> I forgot about that. You told me about that. Should have went to Wyoming. Yeah, nope. we were clear. Nope. Staring at it, it's freaking awesome. You understand nope. why the Mayans killed people over it? Because it's uh, like, dang. <laughs> I'm going out west next time. Not, not full of, yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of refractors in there too, uh, Trevor. You need like a Daystar, like a narrowband Daystar filter, and you can hook them up to all of that. No kidding. Yeah, oh yeah. I need to explore other avenues. The heck, Jen. Chop chop. <laughs> put you in yeah that's a different conversation if someone would have come to seoul but they were so busy they couldn't make it it's just... uh there is a question here i've never um any comments from the panel on russell's new the panel oh for the panel i'm sorry there's a typo in there any comments for the panel on russell's new blue exterminator software blur exterminator <laughs> Blur. blur. <laughs> There's a typo and I can't read. Yes, so. we've all heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. I tried it this morning. It was really impressive. I, I, I mean, I still have to play around with it a lot more because it just came out. But I watched Adam's video and it, it looks amazing. 
I, I'm so excited to try it. I'll, I'll probably download it today. Everything uh, Ross has come up with, I've downloaded to this point and loved it. So uh, yeah, a new deconvolution tool to sharpen image that does it better than the de facto deconvolution. Sign me up. I can't wait to try that out. Yeah, I haven't tried it out either, but I've been preaching for about the last year about how machine learning is going to change astrophotography dramatically. And I think we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg here. It's going a, a year, two, three from now, it's going to be so different. Uh, we're not even going to recognize it. Well, it's been so um, ridiculous now because, you know, like the ASI Air, you buy one of those little boxes for 300 bucks. I, we had one for a couple of years just at Skywatcher, and it's like, oh, I'll use it. I'll use it. I don't know why people are using it. Then I used it. It was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> the, the biggest eye-opener for me for AI and, and its uses for image processing was Russ Croman's talk at the AIC where he played a time lapse of the machine learning going through uh, one of his images and understanding what was noise and what wasn't or I think it was actually what, what were stars, it was a, the first star exterminator, and what weren't, and, and replacing the missing data behind the stars uh, in a really great way. And just seeing it go through the image, it's like, nope, you got it wrong that time, try again, and it got better and better and better. And then, you know, lo and behold, the, the final product, the star exterminator, just an incredible job, something that, you know, manually you could never do yourself. It was, it was really cool. Yeah, I saw that talk too. One of the things I liked was... Um, showing people how much work goes into it. It's not just like, oh, we wrote this program and we and it just magically knows. No, it's it's a huge amount of work to create these models. Uh, you know, it takes months and months and months of analysis and data crunching. And then once you have the model, the models evaluate very fast. So you can do things super fast, but it takes so much work, uh, you know, to get all that ready. And he's. Um, He's really at the forefront of that. I think that's that's great. Yeah, AIC was pretty interesting this year. Well, first it was mm -hmm. the first one that was in a while, and then Trevor, you got to go. Nico was there too. Um, that was your first AIC, wasn't we were it? All for there. both of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how was that? You know, Richard and I have been several years for work, but how was it? Um, cause I've never gone as just kind of a, well, you, you guys weren't even attendees, you were speakers, but you're still more of an attendee than being stuck at a booth doing work. How did that going to an event like that adjust your imaging after you left, like, or your approach to astrophotography going to a dedicated conference for it? I'll let Nico go. He's, he saw more talks than I did. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was interesting. It's definitely only one part of the hobby, I would say. Um, like a lot of the stuff that I do on my YouTube channel is more for just like beginners. And I feel that AIC, it does sort of live up to the advanced imaging conference in that it's, it's more like people who have been doing this for a while and really know what they want to get out of it. Uh, so it is very dense yeah. of what it is. It's a smaller <laughs> conference, especially compared to like Neef. But yeah, you're really in the core of it at that point. Yeah, it's, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and I can't wait to go back just as an attendee because I was so focused and uh, I had huge imposter sy syndrome going on going into that talk. <laughs> 
uh, because, you know, so I was so focused and nervous about my own talk that I didn't get to fully enjoy anything until after it was over. So I missed a lot of the great um, processing talks like Nico's and uh, Carrie Ann's. I really wanted to see, but I was still too busy tweaking my own talk. So I can't wait to go back and just fully experience it as, as an attendee. Yeah, it'd be I, cool for you to just be there. I think yeah. that it was my favorite AIC ever, other than coming home with COVID. Um, oh but, yeah, that was a thing. But it was it was my first AIC that I was not I didn't have booth duty, and so I got to go to the talks and um, yeah, the talks uh, the, a lot of the talks were very good, and I got to spend a lot more time uh, with my friends and net networking with other imagers. Um, so yeah, not having booth duty, it was a really different experience, and um, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably one of the most important things. Like I know a lot of people who attend these events, um, you know, they always come up to us and they're like, yeah, thanks for coming. And I'm sure Nico and Trevor, you couldn't walk five feet without someone stopping you and telling you about all this stuff. But I think for the vendors, exhibitors, whatever the heck you want to call them, even the speakers, it's fun to do that. But the biggest takeaway for i think us from just behind the scenes is all the time we get to spend together after hours and i'm not telling you guys where we do that um because <laughs> i've been down that road before and it's not my first rodeo anymore um but that networking just internally i think really builds the structure of just wanting to work with each other and being like hey this was really cool and whatever and i know ian Lauer is in the chat right now. Hi, Ian. Um, you know, even getting to see him, I haven't seen him in years. And then we all got to hang out and just, and that was the first time I got to meet Ash in person. So it's just kind of cool to build that network internally because I think that just makes the industry or just our side of the coin for exhibitors or whatever to have a stronger foundation to for you guys, it probably gives you better content capabilities or us. It lets us reach further out to just build the hobby up in general. So, Oh, I should yeah. shout out uh, Jay, who uh, is a Skywatcher ambassador. After I met him at AIC and then afterwards, he invited me out to his observatory and I did a video on his uh, backyard observatory. So that was really fun. No, that was a cool. I like that series that you're doing, too, where you kind of, you know, it's almost like MTV Cribs. Yes. <laughs> you know, Nico going into people's observatories. Um, I have some friends out here if you want to travel. They'd be professional observatories if you wanted to actually crash a real one. So yeah, not that, that they're not fun. real. That wasn't insulting. <laughs> but I mean, like, here's Nico at Lowell Observatory. Here's Nico at the Large Binocular Telescope. Here's mm -hmm. Nico at the Vatican Observatory. Here's Nico getting thrown out of the Vatican Observatory because we didn't technically get permission to go in the door. But, you know, just but it'd be a cool part to your series. But I think it's it is neat that you've kind of taken on the talking to people with backyard observatories, because I think so many of us dream to have that. And it's like, well, what would I do if I could like the recent one you just did? I thought I'd never seen it. But the whole split roof design that the gentleman did was like. That's kind of cool. Didn't think about that. So it's just things like that. It's some of these people we never get to meet because we don't live in that part of the country or the world or whatever. Um, I mean, you went all the way out and talked to Helena 
in Scotland. So it's just cool that I know Trevor and uh, Nico, you're really good at this. And Trevor, I know you're trying to do more of it. And it's more of probably a budget thing where you're going out to somewhere and you're taking your audience along with you at that point. And it just takes people along for the ride. Yeah, it, it's hard as a one-man crew because uh, even though I have a, sort of a history in video production, it's just like you still can make a lot of mistakes with like audio and different things. It's like, it, And I, I was impressed uh, at AIC um, when you did that walk around the show floor, Kevin. That was really seamless. So it's, it's, oh, it's hard. That, but, uh, that's all thanks to Simon. Yeah, Simon, Simon made that job. whole thing work. <laughs> all of you who were like, wow, the AIC thing was awesome. It was. Thanks, Simon. That was a freaking nightmare to put together, but Simon figured it all out and it was awesome. But that was a lot of work. But that was, I'd love to do that with Neef. But that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> um, I know we're kind of drifting a little off course, but I'll just bring it around. Um, bringing things around real quick. Um, what are some things in 2023 um, that you want to image? Are there some targets that are... Richard, I already know yours because it's the same one every year. That's constantly no. late. <laughs> so, um, but I didn't know for 2023, what is something that you guys are looking forward to capturing? I, well, so I'm, I'm really guilty uh, of doing the heavy hitters over and over again instead of the really like obscure dim objects. Um, I, I just always like... I, I feel the need to improve on my latest version so badly because, you know, I'll look at my witch head nebula and just be like, ah, oh, man, I, I know I can do better than that. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably do that one again. And, and this time, just like you're doing, Kevin, I would love to do a mosaic of that region, something with a little bit of a longer focal length, even if it was just three panels along. Um, that's what I've really been thinking about. And it is a challenge for me because that's a that's a dark sky trip. That one will be yeah. pretty tough to do from home. Especially if you're mosaicing, that's a it's a project. I know one we were yeah. talking a little while ago. Um, I think it was it was you, me, and I think it was even Diana, who's Vanilla Moon on Instagram. And you were kind of talking how you want to shoot some of the similar targets, but you kind of want to approach the framing of it differently where you're kind of approaching it more as a photographer rather than just, I took this picture. You actually want to orient it to where it looks interesting. Cause I know mm -hmm. that's something she spends a ton of time doing. And I saw you did that with, was it M one Oh one M there's a galaxy you've just posted recently and you did approach it in a different framework. Me? I, I, uh, I did, I posted the triangulum recently, but that was, a that's pretty, what it was. Uh, I, I was pretty standard framing for that one just because I was kind of stuck with the, the, the old data from 2019 I captured, but oh, you know, okay. that, that, that kind of stuff is really what I'm thinking about. And, and you can, you have more options, of course, when you do start doing those mosaics and capture a wider region, it's like, okay, what do you group together in this shot? Um, and then, and then the color palette and all the other fun stuff you get to do with it like that. But yeah, I think, you know, when you, you look at Astro Bin and Instagram, you see so many of the same familiar uh, orientations of the, of the biggest objects. So, you know, just turning something or, or shooting it from a wider field sometimes can make it look completely different. Yeah, it's 
it's a pretty interesting because i know a lot of us it's just like well this is the way you know east is this way and it has to be scientifically accurate it's like i get it north is up always but you can also just approach it in a different format especially depending on how you're if it's not going to be scientifically accurate but there's there's a lot of cool details up there and i know nico you're really good at shooting the really wide field stuff and your images are so deep and elaborate with the dust that you get in there that I'm sure you almost have to approach it and, okay, well, I want this nebula and this nebula to be in the frame. I don't want to cut that out, but it's it's kind of about approaching it in the framework that you want as well and not just, boop, okay, that's what came out. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like um, bright stars as anchor points in an image too. I mean, bright stars can really sort of guide the eye in a cool way. Um, it, it, and especially if you can get color, you know, n nice color on a bright star, like a brilliant blue or yellow star in, a, in the right place in your image could make it or break it, I think. That's a good way of, I, I think about that when I shoot a bright, an object with a bright star. But yeah, what I think is kind of cool and how you're kind of approaching it is you are approaching it as like an art or just a, you know, how are you going to re see this play out? rather than just, well, I took this picture and here's what I did. Um, you're actually trying to kind of tell a story of where your eye is, goes across and stuff, which is, it's just a different approach to it. And you're seeing a lot more of that. A really yeah. easy tip I can give people mm -hmm. is like, make a, make a strong diagonal in your picture from one corner to the other corner in the frame. And the that will really, you know, people won't know why they like it, but they'll really like it if there's some kind of strong diagonal <laughs> in your picture. <laughs> Yeah, it just, just tells the story differently. So, and then I know Trevor with, you know, we've talked about mosaics and I think now that mosaics are becoming easier and easier, even in the ASI air, like more people should try doing that, especially because not everyone's going to have a full frame, big field of view camera. Like, okay, well, you've got a 533 and a decent little focal length refractor or whatever it is do a mosaic like it doesn't have to be well it doesn't fit or it doesn't do this it's like no it just means you got to approach it differently yeah that so that feature that mosaic feature is the reason why I, i'm i feel more comfortable going in now um i didn't use uh, sequence generator pro or some of the other tools that people have been using over the last few years to create mosaics but the asi air i'm very comfortable with and, and that tool is the reason why now i'll be exploring mosaics a lot more um, it just makes it so much easier, um, especially with the, the dim areas that you're photographing that you really don't know they're there until, you know, you know, five, 10 minute exposure. Um, now it makes projects of those areas in Mosaic a lot easier. That kind of, there's a question that popped up. This, this one's probably more for, oh, one that last thing. thing. The mosaic. This thing has a really interesting way to do mosaics. I was just testing it um, the other night instead of like panels, you know, like a two panel mosaic or a four panel mosaic, like we're used to, it is just like dithering around the whole area of the mosaic frame and building the image that way. So there's a lot of overlap, but by the time it's hmm. done, uh, you don't see any seams or, or noise patterns. It just sort of dithers everywhere. Um, and I thought it was really cool. Oh. Um, it's a new feature on the Veonis telescopes. That's fancy. <clears throat> Um, so this kind of segues from the mosaic stuff. Uh, it's probably more for Richard, uh, with all the tech developments and astro imaging gear, 
and especially around uh, compute slash image processing, when when do you all think more auto processing imaging gear will be available to the masses? I mean, in a way, what Nico just talked about is already part of that. So <clears throat> there's, I know of <laughs> at least three projects that I'm under NDA and can't talk about. So it's it's a, a few months ago I actually did an article in Sky and Tell, the future of astrophotography, and I talked about how um, you know cameras are getting ridiculously better. Uh, optics have been getting better for years. I have three F3 optics now, you know, uh, that, that I can shoot with. It's it's becoming a commodity. And, um, you know, we take these long exposures and we stack them. Well, what's the difference between, you know, a one-hour exposure and 60 one-minute exposures? Can you just – are they the same? They can be the same. The limit is the, the noise introduced by the camera. If you have a perfect camera – you could do a you know a one second exposure for six hours. You still need six hours worth of exposure. You, there's no you can't get more light out of the Andromeda galaxy, but the limit on how short the exposures is how good the cameras are. Well, the cameras are pretty good these days. Um, we had this great you know when CMOS started getting a foothold, we had this great reduction in read noise. We were still held up because even though there's great read noise, we had a lot of pattern noise. Well, now the pattern noise is down too. And so we can get away with really short exposures. And I think maybe one more, uh, well, Kevin's got to wander off. Good, now I can just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> you know, one more, one more generation of improvements to CMOS we're going to be, we're not gonna be able to get much better. What do you do when the read noise is essentially nothing and the quantum efficiency is essentially 100? Uh, what are you gonna do? Well, you're gonna, we're gonna be taking one second exposures and we're not going to have to guide anymore and well you got to have lots and lots of space to stack up you know a ten a hundred thousand one second exposures no you don't no you don't um well you just stack one second exposures for five minutes and then save it and then stack one second exposures for another five minutes and save it you can still you know i i run into people like no because you can't dither if you're not guiding We're like all dithering is is moving the telescope and it doesn't have to move every single frame it just has to move you know if you've got six hours worth of data and you've moved the telescope you know 12 times that's enough to dither and get rid of those hot pixels um and there are people working and you know i'm not like this visionary and or anything there's lots of people every time i talk to other people oh yeah we're working on that or uh, hey, we got this project and, and we're doing something similar. And you got Russ Crowman is, you know, beating everybody to the punch with his machine learning stuff. But we're, you know, we're five years from now. You know, I remember uh, when I joined Software Bisc, they were like, people laughed at them because they bring a laptop out next to the telescope. And then it's like, well, everybody's got a laptop. And five years from now they're going to laugh at you again for bringing a laptop they're gonna be like who uses a laptop next to telescope you know things like the asi air and uh, Stella, uh stellar mate and astroberry and things like that though there's lots of projects if you google around uh, there's actually quite a few of those projects uh, this sort of happens as the technology advances people who are in the technology we all have the same ideas at the same time it, and like I always say, I've done lots of product development. Your ideas are worthless. I don't care about what great idea you have. It's not worth anything. 
execution is everything. Because I guarantee you, no matter how great your idea is, there's there's a hundred other people have the same idea, and whoever builds it first wins. And there are lots of people who are figuring out that the cameras are really stinking good. Uh, we've got we've got GPUs on even a Raspberry Pi. You know, we have software that can make use of multi-core computers. Well, you know, a CPU, a GPU has thousands of cores. I mean. It's, it's not like three times faster than the fastest Intel processor. It's like hundreds or thousands of times faster than an Intel processor. And that sort of thing is becoming more of a commodity, more of a commodity. And you don't have to be a computer scientist to put together uh, and use these algorithms. And so the tools are improving, the software tools are improving, the hardware is improving, and the cameras are improving. And so the big question is, when's this going to happen? It's happening. It's happening right now where it's it's going on uh, as as we speak and yeah five years from now everybody will be imaging from their i they'll be checking on their image run with their ipad and there'll be a little box that's doing everything and nobody's going to sit next to their computer all night with their telescope with their with their laptop with their laptop i've had my laptop rained on in the backyard and that's why that's why we started uh i started using the raspberry pi about seven or eight years ago I ported the sky to the Raspberry Pi because I was tired of my battery running down on my laptop, and I was tired of my laptop getting rained on. If it rains on a $30 computer, oh well, I can replace it. And um, that was a great idea, not necessarily executed very well. And look, lots of other people have had the same great idea, and they're executing on it. Some of them are executing on it very well. And so I believe this is where, I believe we're seeing astrophotography go from a hobbyist niche uh you know i want to i want to tinker 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 to where it's going to become a it'll be a, a, a commodity uh it's mainstream astrophotography will be mainstream uh we already have we already have the the nico was showing a minute ago those little guys you know some of the high-end imagers they just poo-poo those things they're like well you know those images aren't very good do you remember do you remember i remember jumping up and down in my backyard when I got M51 and it looked like the faintest swirl of snot on my computer screen and I could tell that it was a galaxy. Um, you, you know, after 15 years, yeah, you might, you're not gonna, you, you might want something a little better than that, but that's a great way to start. And trust me, 15 years from now, you'll be, those, those little cheap devices will be getting images, will be popping out images every bit as good as the one behind me or the one that Warren Keller spent 40 hours processing from an observatory in Chile. Uh, you know, that's, that's where it's going to be. So it's happening. It's happening right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty uh, impressed Richard. by how the costs of these things are coming down. This is going to come out next year. This is uh, mm -hmm. the dwarf two $400. I mean, it's, it's, it's not ready yet, really. I mean, it's, it's still hard to use compared to the Vespera, but it's just, I see the promise of this. It's, it's, it's still a lot of fun um, to just be able to very quickly do solar, lunar, and deep sky with one little device. Mm -hmm. $400. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. It's the price of a you know, entry-level DSLR, and you're capturing space. And you know what? No, the, the established guard is not going to be happy because you know it, they're never I, happy I, Richard. I, I, no i don't i don't want to trash talk my my you know my old uh, allegiances but i remember i told steve bisk i said the day's coming 
where, you know, 30-minute unguided exposures is no longer going to be a competitive advantage. I mean, they make great mounts. The Paramount is a great mount. I have three of them. I plan to use them for a long, long time. But you're not going to need, you know, for a long time, it's like, I can go unguided for 30 minutes. Nobody's going to, already nobody cares. I don't need 30 minutes for anything, even for <laughs> narrow, even for narrow band. I don't, I, five minutes is enough for narrow band uh, on a modern camera. Yeah, even less depending on your focal ratio. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people are going to be very unhappy. Uh, you know, they're, who's going to go to a one week, you know, Pix and Sight class, you know, five years from now, it's not going to be, it'll be something very different. So, it, as in all things, it's going to change. What are you going to do? Are you going to be the dinosaur, or are you going to are you going to evolve and uh, and move forward? And Richard it's and I have a running joke on it too, where it, you ask, it's like, well, who's working on it? Top men. <laughs> <laughs> Top. Good time. Uh, there's a bunch of questions in here for all of you guys. Um, okay, we did that one. Um, if you could buy one, just one piece of equipment in 2023, what would it be? <laughs> Who wants to take that? Richard, you kind of already took I already job. have everything. <laughs> I don't, you, I don't, yeah. You got new stuff on the way. I've, I've got a new, um, yeah, can we do that? We can plug, I got a new player one mono camera on the way with the filter wheel and, um, I'm excited about that. Uh, just got a new reducer for my Esprit 80. I'm very excited about yeah, that that Apex. F yeah, I've got the Apex. I also have the Apex for uh, my Quattro, which is also F3. Oh, so that's a Nexus. When I oh, that's a Nexus. When I first got started, my uh, my first big telescope purchase was my Affacina Stellari Veloce, and uh, I, I paid for it with uh, book royalties and. Uh, talked my wife into it when she was on morphine after an, after she had an accident she's like yeah hon, whatever but that was the first really you know expensive but that was f3 and man i tell you what it was like i had a ferrari i had the chick mobile it was like look at this i go to a star party with that and oh richard's got the oh we gotta see it we gotta see it now nowadays nobody cares wait oh f3 whatever dotson dotson we got dotson here it's no big deal no anymore cares. And, and, you know, and that's how it's like we, t we think the cameras have really uh, come a long way, you know, since we got started. So have optics. You know, the telescopes have got a lot better, too. Uh, so well, that's that's pretty cool. So I guess, yeah, if I could buy one thing, I've got a great solar filter. I've got I've got a whole armada of telescopes and mounts. Um, yeah, I guess the most exciting thing I'm, I'm excited to get back to mono. One shot color does not do it for me. Um, I knew I knew it wouldn't, but yeah. Anyway, but that's the, me. the last. Of you guys. The last uh, piece of gear that I was really excited about was the uh, the ASI sixty two hundred mono camera because just to have a full frame mono camera with those specs was like unlike any other camera I've ever used before. So that was. Uh, and, and that's here now, still testing that out. So that was that was the last thing that I got really excited about uh, in terms of like, you know, exotic big telescopes and stuff. Because of the nature of my YouTube channel, I, I don't, I try not to use the really 
high-end stuff that people would be like, well, you know, how many people are actually owning and using these things? So I'm more excited about the innovative beginner level products. Like the GTI was awesome this year uh, and stuff that, you know, the, the dwarf that uh, Nico just showed really cool, like, you know, beginner level innovations is, is the stuff that excites me now and into 2023. I um, tried some near IR imaging, like, three or four years ago and uh, just didn't get anywhere with it. I was using the ASI 1600. And I think I, I think the problem was the quantum efficiency of the ASI 1600 out there uh, past 700 nanometers was just not good enough. But now I have some of these newer Sony sensors. So I think I'm gonna try NIR imaging again, um, partly because the JWST really excited me about like sort of the possibilities there. Richard and I messed around with that at Texas Star Party once. Like everyone was, I think we were having like salmon dip because it was cloudy. And I had a near IR filter and we put it on a Starlight 694, which is pretty good sensitivity in the reds. And it was a 50 millimeter lens and Richard comes over. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, imaging. It's like, it's cloudy. And lo and behold, through the clouds, Starlight coming through with the awesome. IR. And I've shot... Uh, Ryan with it too and it's so different it's mm -hmm. so cool to use nebulas or you know there's galaxies hidden behind the dust up in Perseus that you can't see and it's like a whole nother bit that isn't tapped much completely overcast we did a t-point run <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when you're bored that's going to be fun this year for those can I tell them Trevor oh yeah sure yeah, we're going to drag Trevor to Texas Star Party. And Ash. She better be coming. Back to Texas. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. No, we're excited about that. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be like the one year that we get like a tornado through the thing and it's terrible. No, it's just, no, no, I've no. seen I've seen Dobbs go airborne. That is yep. not. <laughs> that is not. I don't want to hear that. We'll, we'll show you how to keep your thing on the ground. Those <laughs> death devils are a thing. Yes. There goes Trevor. <laughs> Uh, um, question on narrowband filters with one shot color cameras using an Optolong L Extreme Duo with a one shot color. If you use O3 narrowband filter, can I get more O3 data in my images? Oh, as opposed to using a dual band versus just well, if you're just using the narrowband filter only the blue is going to be active blue greenish is going to be active depending on how narrow the filter is going to be you're using the duo you're getting more signal but i don't know that you're getting any more signal from the o3 at all you really just need to go with a monochrome camera and you, call have it to, in. you have to compare the, the bandpass diagrams and yeah you're not, you're not getting more light from the nebula there's only so much light coming and you're either letting through the red and the blue or you're letting through only the red or you're letting through only the blue but you're not depends on how narrow it is yeah and so if you're too broad on is, uh, o3 go for the dual band mm -hmm. yes if you're using one shot color just do the dual bands <laughs> ian <laughs> tsp what are the dates it's called google ian you sell prints look it up so i'm gonna throw them under the bus publicly sorry so cat's gonna kill me now um uh, other than the obvious things to image, uh, DSOs, planets, lunar, what other things can you guys suggest to image that is astronomy related? Solar? 
I don't know. They, they didn't leave much left to... Or IR, like what Nico had mentioned. IR, IR. quasars, stars. Uh, I'm just Science. trying to think of all the different objects. I, I don't know. Uh, Kevin does a lot that? of planetary nebulas and um, dust. I mean, dust oh, yeah. yeah. Dusty areas. Dark and dirty, mm -hmm. which could be taken in a lot of different ways. But, uh, um, yes, when it comes to nebulas, dark and dirty. So that's why Cepheus is fun. So. Uh, let's see. How does the panel overcome uh, the some is good, more is better, too much is just right pitfall of integration time on a target? Oh, so, I mean, so there's, um, I'm sure Richard, Richard will have a great answer for the sweet spot of where it levels off. Um, me, because the weather is uh, not great here, I have such limited clear sky time. It's always <laughs> as much as humanly possible before the target is gone for the season. Um, so I, I'm, I'm always trying to just pile on as much integration as possible. And I rarely get a project that goes over 10 or 12 hours. Um, but I know there is that leveling off point that I'm sure Richard will explain better. I think it depends it, on the target too. Sure. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It, de it depends on the target. You can take a one minute exposure of the Andromeda galaxy and the core of the Andromeda galaxy is perfectly smooth and there's no noise. Uh, so it depends. It you know I see those charts. One of the things I have to do in my talk is is to turn that that chart with the the signal to noise ratio, and they talk about asymptotes. And my response to that is always, well, everybody did not get an A in algebra. Uh, that chart looks the same whether it's number of exposures or num it, or or uh, you know number whether it's an hour long exposure or a one minute exposure. That the physical the, the physical property is the signal. How much signal do you get from your target? If you're shooting a very dim, tar dim target without a lot of signal, you're going to get a lot of noise. And you can just shoot and shoot and shoot, and very, very dim areas, things will keep coming out of those very dim areas. One of the things I love about the newer cameras is with the read noise and the, and the pattern noise being so low, um, how much flux nebula is everybody's getting flux nebula everywhere i i first noticed this when uh kevin and i and and brian share a, a remote place and kevin's shooting like this globular cluster he's like look at all this stuff around the globular cluster it's just like that's flux nebula. That m15 how are you, how are you getting flight everywhere you point there's flux nebula and it's just the cameras are some of that stuff that you used to have to go really really long time is coming out a lot sooner you're not getting more light but the very faint stuff with if the noise is in the faint stuff you have to shoot a long time to stack that out if the if the signal is up above the noise you're you're better but anyway it depends on the target it de it just depends on the target and you know we see here's another thing you're, you're seeing the, the evolution of astrophotography uh you know you see a galaxy and everybody would print that oh beautiful galaxy beautiful galaxy and then if you notice lately, this, those galaxy pictures, there's all kinds of stuff behind the galaxies and around the galaxies. M42 and the Running Man used to be on a black background, and now it's like there's all kinds of dust around M42 and the Running Man. And you know, you, it's embarrassing to put up a M42 and Running Man on a black background now because you got to have all that dust and stuff that's behind it. The only way to get that is a really sensitive camera and to go longer exposures. So. If you're happy with M42, you don't need very much exposure time at all. You want to get the stuff in the background, you got to go longer. I never use online calculators uh, to figure out how long I should shoot. 
I'll take a couple of ex test exposures and evaluate them, and then I'll just shoot all night, and I'll stack it and go, hmm, I think there's some stuff over here. Let's go a little longer. You know, it's the difference between being a chef and being, you know, microwaving a, a you know, a TV dinner. Uh, you know, if you, if you, TV dinners are great initially, you know, when you're hungry and you don't have anything else. Uh, but if you want to practice your craft and you want to start getting better, you're going to get to the point where online calculators aren't doing it. Those, they're great rules of thumb when you don't have anything else to, to hold on to. Uh, but Anyway, thanks for coming to my TED talk. I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> well, to add on to what Richard is saying, uh, it's also using different filters for different um, integration mm -hmm. times because you may, on some objects, I may shoot um, 30, 40 hours on the O3 filter and only need six hours on HA or something like that. Because oh, yeah. there's just, there's a very, very dim O3 signal there, especially with supernova mm -hmm. remnants, things like that. Um, like if you've shot the spaghetti nebula, if you look at any pictures of that before like 2010 maybe it's just red but there's actually a lot of o3 tendrils in there too that now people mm -hmm. bring out the squid nebula the squid nebula uh -huh. yep. yeah that's another one where it's like you need 10 times the o3 that you do the ha if not more yeah that ha is going to overpower everything because it's so i powerful. did a 20 minute exposure single 20 minute exposure on the squid at f3 and it's like with an O3 filter, and I'm like, I can sort of see in there. <laughs> That's going to take a lot of time to bring that out. <laughs> uh, I'm going to skip a couple little questions in here. Um, here's one. What's everyone's least favorite part of astrophotography? Short answer, because we got 10 minutes. The weather. <laughs> It's mine too. Oh well, yeah, yeah. It's because you're you're completely helpless, and, and the 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 timing of it sometimes it just seems like it's really just trying to mess with you. Um, where it's like you you're just you're you're praying for a clear night to either finish or start a new project, and that's when the stretch of 15 days of cloudy skies come. It's just it's so cruel. I'll give another another answer. Just me being disorganized and having all of these like half finished filter trains around, and I have no idea like what you know what this image train is about why these filters are stuck together what you know, what's going on um and just yeah chaos with uh equipment yeah it it adds up after a while when you got too much stuff i've i've given up to a degree with keeping everything organized in its case and you know pull it out when i need it kind of thing it's in a constant state of things are you know, half put together from the last time I used it, or I needed one thing and pulled it out and put it in a separate setup. And, and Ashley's like, oh, you need to be so much more organized. And I'm like, Ash, like if, if that was going to happen, it would have happened by now. It's just, it's not, it's never going to happen. This, it'll always be <laughs> disorganizing chaos forever. Um, this is a fun one because it's really relevant right now. Uh, what are your primary grab and go rigs? Uh, I'll say the GTI Canon RA and my 85 millimeter lens. That's just really easy. Um, I've just been using it actually without counterweight, uh, just doing like 30 to 60 second subs. Um, and I just, I just really like that. Yeah, it depends on, on the type of stuff I'm shooting, but if I'm going somewhere dark and I want to shoot wide, uh, the Star Adventurer, my Canon RA and like a 24 millimeter F 1.4 lens. That's my, you know, my wide angle sky shooter. Uh, if I'm going deeper right now, the, the AM5 is actually really portable. 
I have a 75 millimeter refractor on there, ASI 2600 filter wheel. All of that, I can pick it up and just move it out from the garage. It, the whole thing probably weighs 35 pounds. So that's been my grab and go right now. Ooh, grab and go. So I, I've got the, the StarAdventure GTI as well. And I really like that a lot with uh, camera lenses. So I've been taking it almost everywhere I go uh, with me. Um, but I do like to put a small refractor on it. So I have a, I have a stowaway 92 millimeter astrophysics. And um, if I if I can go just a little more, I'll bring my Paramount Mighty and one of my Esprits uh, along with me. That's more like a lug and go. But uh, I take those I take those to some surprising <laughs> locations. <laughs> What's my grab and go? I don't do grab and go very much because usually I'm already knowing what I'm doing and where I'm going. If I'm imaging, I'm not really imaging from home anyway. I lay in bed and remote image at this point because I have two kids and don't have time to really get to dark skies. And if I do get to dark skies, I don't want to be yelling at a battery in a computer because um, then you just look like a freak in the middle of the desert yelling at a battery in a computer. Um, yeah, I do more visual grab and go. Sorry, I know that's like yeah. if Dylan were in here, I would have been like That's that's what executed. I wanted to say. That's that's really the stowaway is really my number one visual on the GTI. I like I'm taking it camping, uh, you know, over Christmas. Uh, but of course nobody on here wants to hear about visual. But um, yeah. I peace. <laughs> uh yeah. Uh so with that, I know there's a ton of questions in here. We're not going to get to them all, um, especially with three people answering. What's last one? Uh, what's one piece of Astro gear you wish existed but doesn't? Hmm. And this is where, as a product development person, I'm going to pull the notepad <laughs> out and take. <laughs> Remember, ideas are worthless unless they're executed. So. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're 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 extremely spoiled these days as astrophotographers with, with tools and features. Uh, nothing standing out that's missing to me right now. That's why it doesn't exist. So. <laughs> Richard's probably well equipped to answer this, but has several legal documents saying say, he hey, can't. Hey, the, problem, the, the, the problem is I'm currently executing on two of those ideas right now. <laughs> I've got a couple but I'm, I'm not at liberty to discuss them at this point. Sorry. Something I've thought of is um, like someone who makes a telescope that's an astrograph that's only, only meant for imaging, and they put like the capabilities of a night crawler into the telescope. So you don't have to like add on any kind of third-party thing. It has like electronic rotation and all that kind of stuff built in, which would be interesting. Star Arizona did that on their Hyperions, um, which is a Harmer Wind telescope. Um, but yeah, the rotator and all of that was built in. I think they even had a control focuser for the piggyback telescope. If you did it, you just routed it in the back panel. Those are thirteen thousand dollar telescopes, but <clears throat> Nightcrawler's a focuser rotator. I don't know if we should mention that for the oh, yeah. muggle, muggles who don't know what that is. That is a great. I have one of those on my one. This pre one fifty. That's a great, great piece. Of if game. you haven't seen a Nightcrawler, they're huge. I saw but one on the back of a. You can put anything on it. You, you can put anything boy. on it. Anything. I saw one on a Talk eighty five Baby Q, oh, and it was hysterical because it just looked like a lens with a yeah. focuser on it. It was, 
It was huge. I haven't messed with rotators. We don't have one at the remote observatory. Trevor, I don't think you've got any Never rotators. I wouldn't be surprised if ZWO comes out with a rotator. I feel like that's the only advanced thing they need to put in there. I'm sure it's um, on the list, yeah. But the Nightcrawler is ridiculous in person. And Nico, I know you don't have a Nightcrawler. so oh, I Most thought, of your I thought, telescopes. I thought of another thing. Quick. like A mobile phone designed for astrophotography. So like I'm really surprised by how good some of my mobile phone results are. But I can just imagine if one was like, built from the ground up for astrophotography how much better it could be okay apple chop chop you know because real people use apple products and not androids but we're not going to start that because that's a whole nother episode of the what's up webcast <laughs> um i've the sony phones have been pretty impressive from what i've seen but it would be cool i, I know what you're saying from the ground up we're you know it's existed what i i don't know if you've seen i saw it the other day at verizon it's an android phone um i don't even know what it's called but it's it's a phone but then if you want it to be a tablet the whole thing opens in half and then it's a tablet screen it was like that'd be pretty cool with an asi air but yeah if the camera was really good on top of it yeah so uh so that's pretty much all the time we have. Anything last remarks you guys want to tell before we close out the year? I think so. <laughs> the air got sucked out of the room at that point. So, um, but yeah, well, I thank you guys for uh, hanging out with us. Um, of course, if you guys want to, Richard, I think you're going to TSP. I am going to Texas. Yep. So I'll be at party. Texas. Star. Oh yeah, you can see uh, Richard at Winter Star Party. Uh, Trevor, Richard, and myself, as as long as, as well as the rest of our team, will be uh, at Texas Star Party. Nico, you should book a flight to Texas. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I'll see. You we could pull a off line. a cowboy hat too. I don't know. I think you could pull the Texas look off out there, but the food is surprisingly good out there in the middle of nowhere. I know Richard's gone to some of the restaurants out there. So, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And my but, wife is a, she, I don't want to say picky eater. I can't think of a nicer way to put it, but she's a pretty picky eater. And, yeah, I managed to feed her out there, too. So, Well, cool. So uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Um, if you have any other questions, of course, you can always throw them. Everyone has social media nowadays. It's not up to me if they don't answer it. But... Um, everyone has social media go bug them um, this is the last episode of the what's up webcast for the year the next two weeks we're taking a break um, if you want to come see the new cq350 i'll be at star arizona tomorrow come hang out um, check it out critique it because you probably will um, and then good luck on the holiday season uh, thanks to you three for hanging out with us and wrapping up the year i hope you have a safe holiday season and don't freeze and have a good time. So, Nico, enjoy playing with your robot telescopes. So, thanks. Yeah, we'll thanks. Um, and yeah, we will see you guys uh, in 2023. So, uh, take care. Thanks a lot, guys. And we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.